Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the Old Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. 5.2, pick a path. Hey, welcome back again. All right, we've been exploring what wisdom looks like from a few different angles in the last podcast, and we're going to continue with that now. We're under the heading of calling. Uh, we, We observed in Job, which is a narrative text, what wisdom can look like. And what I want to do today is turn to a wisdom psalm and consider how a wise life can be depicted through poetry. But first, let me just say a couple of things about habits. Do you realize that a huge amount of your daily living is determined simply by habit? Apparently, our brains need habits for us to function because such an enormous amount of what we do is habitual um, and when we, a lot of the time when we think we're making free choices, neurologists will tell us that we're not. We've formed habits and our brains and our bodies are simply sticking to them. So if you, if you think about walking, if you had to think about every movement that is required for you to walk, your brain will be exhausted by the time you got to your front door. Um, and sometimes we can overthink these things. I, I remember when I was in high school, I was in this marching band where we had to play instruments and march at the same time. And we were just working on the marching bit. And there was one guy and he was just overthinking it. And he was swinging the same arm and leg forward on one side and then the same arm and leg forward on the other side. And his whole body was sort of lopsided as he, as he teetered across the room. And we were all saying to him, dude, all you have to do is walk. You know, just straighten your arms a bit, swing them slightly higher than you might normally, but there really isn't anything more to it. And he was overthinking it and it looked hilarious. But whether you like it or not, most of the things that you do are managed by a really small part of your brain, leaving the larger part of your brain for conscious thought and real decision making. And that's true for walking, talking, driving, eating, and so on. It's also true for each person for the way you walk, the way you talk, the way you drive, the way you eat. And that might be worth pondering. <laughs> so cross your arms for me right now, wherever you are, unless you're driving or riding a bike or something like that. Just cross your arms. All right, now cross them the other way. Now I'm guessing you had to think about that a little bit, didn't you? And that's the power of habit. But it's not just good positive things that are habitual for us. You and I both know that each of us has plenty of bad habits, don't we? Let's be honest. Have a think about it for a sec, actually. What are your bad habits? What are the things, what comes to mind, when you think about those things that are really hard for you to change? Do you know why those things are hard to change? It's simply because many of the bad things that we do the things that we think of as bad, have been moved over to that small part of the brain that functions by instinct rather than conscious thought. And often when actions become instinctual, we develop blind spots. Uh, We know what some of our blind spots are, sure. Uh, But, you know, I hate to break this to you, but you have blind spots that you don't know about. (laughs) That's why they're called blind spots. Now, from a Christian perspective, when we're talking about things that we shouldn't be doing that we are doing, We're talking about that jargon word, sin. And you remember our our definition of that from a few podcasts ago. It's our human propensity to muck things up. You know, sins are all those things that we do and those attitudes that we have 
that tendency we have to resist uh, what God wants for us, our tendency to do things that are contrary to God's best for us. And a lot of the sinful things that we do, they're not just bad choices. They're bad habits. They're things that we've done again and again, which means that they may well become things that we continue to do again and again until we address them. So how do we change those things? What can we do to start choosing differently? How can we develop more godly habits? Psalm 1 begins with the words, blessed is the person who dot, dot, dot. It reminds us of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, you know, the so-called Beatitudes, sometimes referred to as the B-attitudes, the attitudes that you should have in your daily being or living. So he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they'll be comforted. Blessed are the meek, and so on. Now, Psalm 1 begins as Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Or perhaps we should say Jesus began his sermon in a way that reflected the Psalms. But either way, the first word is the same. In Hebrew, ashrei, blessed be, or happy is the person who... And in Greek, it's makarios, blessed. Now, what exactly does this word mean, though, to be blessed? We use it all the time, right? You know, on Facebook, I was interested to learn recently that, um, well, not that recent, I guess now, but when you give a status update, you can, you can add how you're feeling. And one of the options is feeling blessed. And a lot of people use that for various things. When someone sneezes in the room, sometimes our instinct is just to call out, bless you. But what exactly does it mean for someone to be blessed? Well, that word blessing has to do with life. To bless someone is to enrich or improve their living. To be blessed is to grow, to flourish, to reach your maximum potential in life. In some ways, what it means to be blessed is hard to define with words. And in a sense, it might be easier to talk about it using an image or a metaphor. So that's precisely what our psalmist does in Psalm 1. So let's just jump in at verse 3 with the metaphor that's being used here to describe this person who is blessed. The psalmist says that blessed people are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield fruit in its season. Their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. A blessed person is like a healthy plant. Good to know. Now, this image of a strong tree sounds great, but how do we get there? I mean, I could just say to you, hey, a blessed person looks like a healthy tree. So look alive, be healthy, grow, yield fruit, prosper and succeed. Just try to do all those things. I don't think it'll help much, though, either if we just decide to read our Bibles more, which is what the psalmist suggests here. We can't just assume that these things will happen automatically if we just open our Bibles more often. There's something deeper than that going on here. So how do we get there? How do we get to this blessed life? Well, the psalmist makes four observations in this one verse, and I just want to zoom in on some of these. First of all, a blessed person sets down his or her roots near life-giving water. Now, the implication here is that the tree's deep roots are constantly being fed by this running stream. They're not the kinds of roots that you can just put down with a five-minute prayer when you're desperate. You know the kind I'm talking about? 
I'm in crisis, Lord. I better pray. Dear Lord, please. I know we haven't spoken for a while, but would you just help me out with this? It's desperate. I don't know what to do. You know that kind of prayer? This psalm is calling us to live in the right space. A blessed person is putting down those deep roots all the time. They may not even need deep roots today, but they water them just the same. They spend time in the word. They spend time in prayer. And those roots that are always stretching deeper down and further out are constantly being watered. Second observation is that a blessed person yields fruit, not necessarily all the time, but as it says here, in their season. And you can see that this is related to the previous point. You don't have to be yielding fruit every day, all the time. That would be a very high expectation. But if we're working with this image of a tree, I think it's helpful to think about seasons. There are seasons to yield fruit and be what you might call useful. There are seasons of winter. There are seasons of letting things go, like autumn, and there are seasons of new growth in spring. So this psalm is a, is a wisdom psalm because it's summoning us to live wisely. And as I understand it, wisdom is often about discerning what time is it. Where am I? Am I in a season of regrowth? Am I in a season where I need to let go of old habits? Am I in a season of rest or of quiet and so on? So being aware that we yield fruit, not necessarily all the time, but in season. And again, that's due to having that constant flow. The third observation I noticed here is that this psalm says their leaves do not wither. Now that's different from saying that we go through fruit-bearing seasons. To my mind, at least, this suggests that a blessed person reflects the life of Christ within. As the psalmist puts it, their leaves are not dead and brown. And what I mean by that is that even when you are in autumn or winter, people around you can see the life of Christ within. That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I hope I don't need to say that. We've already looked at some of that, uh, the issues around moralism and perfectionism. But if your roots are deep and well watered, regardless of the season you're in, people will see Jesus in you. And the fourth observation that I would make from this verse, finally, is that the last phrase in verse 3 says that a blessed person, like a healthy plant, will prosper, succeed or advance in the things that she does. But let me just say the Hebrew word here that's translated prosper, it literally means to push forward. And I think that's a more meaningful translation when we're thinking about tree roots rather than prosper. Because the core idea here is not that things are always shiny and prosperous in the way that we think of that word. The point is that this tree is always growing. Its roots are always pushing forward. And that's what a blessed person looks like. They're always seeking growth. In every part and phrase then of verse 3, I hope you can see that the point being made here is that as you make choices in life, you're not just choosing a path for today. You're carving out a path for tomorrow. Another way to put that is you're never simply making choices. You are always forming habits. I find that a really confronting truth. Very challenging, isn't it? You're never simply making choices. You are always forming habits. I remember running a seminar uh, for some bright undergrad students at Durham Uni a few years ago. 
And I remember saying to them, well, I don't know what we were talking about, but I said, let's just take a step back from this and, and let me just say something about life. I said, well, when, we're, when you're going through life, you're not just choosing a direction for today, but you're kind of digging a groove in that direction that gets deeper and deeper as you go along. And as you dig that groove and you make those decisions over and over, it gets harder and harder to climb out because you're moving in the same direction. And some of them said later, wow, that's depressing. Thanks so much for that. And others said, you know, that's a really sobering thought. Thanks for sharing it. So what's the way forward? Well, if you want to change something, anything, the key, the secret is this. Are you ready? If you want to change something in your life, the key is to change what has been a habitual behavior into something that you do consciously. The key is to change what has been habitual into something you do consciously. In other words, awareness is the beginning of transformation. Because then, when you're aware, you can change that conscious behavior and develop a new habit. Another way of putting this is to say that if you're courageous enough to bring that blind spot into focus and into the light, then, and only then, can you begin to change that habit. So if you remember the, the simple illustration I used earlier of crossing your arms, if I say to you now again, cross your arms, I'm betting that this time, just in the back of your mind, there's an awareness that you can do it two different ways and that there's more of a choice there than there was before. You may have even decided that for the rest of your life, you're going to cross your arms the other way. Um, I, I doubt that very much. But the point is, we can change our habits by becoming aware of what we do, by changing what we do, and by establishing new habits. Now that might all sound like God isn't in any of it. You know, this could just come out of some leadership manual. And I guess on one level, that's true. And it's, it's worth noting at this point, I guess, that the wisdom literature in the Bible is like that. A lot of countries, a lot of nations in the ancient world had their own wisdom literature. And a lot of the wisdom literature is shared between, say, Egyptian or Sumerian and Israelite wisdom literature. So a lot of this stuff doesn't sound like it includes God. And I just want to say at this point that one of the main ways that those blind spots will be brought into focus for you, into the light, is because of the Holy Spirit being in your life. You inviting the Spirit of God to bring things into focus and into the light for you. So it's certainly something that we don't just do on our own. Uh, and that's a gift, by the way. It's not God judging you in some nasty way. When God brings something into focus that you hadn't seen, that was a blind spot, that is a real gift and something to be grateful for. Now, they say it takes about two weeks to establish a new habit. And I think they say it takes about two days to fall back into your old habits. So there's some work to be done, you know, in this. And you might tell me that, uh, you know, I don't have time to read my Bible in the morning. And I'd say, well, if you're reading Psalm 1 and you're challenged about that, yeah, you do have that time because you have the same time as anyone else. What you need, though, is to become conscious of how your time is being divvied up and then how you can order your day perhaps differently according to new priorities. If our brains are wired to create habits for us, as we looked at earlier, then let's use that to our advantage, right? You can develop habits that actually help you to avoid doing the wrong things. 
If you develop, for example, a habit of strengthening your mind and your faith with the Word of God, then you'll find yourself responding to temptation out of good habits instead of bad ones. Uh, an example of that is, you know, Jesus in the temptations in the desert, he responds immediately to all three of those by quoting from Deuteronomy. And I think that shows a habitual response to temptation that just goes straight to the Bible. Now, I've focused here on the very positive image of a tree, but there is another image, of course, in Psalm 1. There's the image of chaff, the useless husks that are blown away by the wind. And the psalmist spends some time developing that image as well at the end of the psalm. So it's quite typical in wisdom literature to always get this contrast between two ways. You know, the wicked versus the righteous, the wise versus the fool, the productive person versus the lazy person, uh, pride versus humility and so on. So this psalm, like other wisdom literature, what what it seeks to do really is to place you at the crossroads and tell you to pick a path. So the question I'd like you to reflect on as we conclude is this, what is at the end of the path that you are currently choosing? What's at the end of the path that you're currently choosing? See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.